I'm Raimi. I like anime a lot. I'm John, and I make other cartoons. I'm Rick, and I'm starting to like anime more than a little. And this is Say the X, Hunter x Hunter, episode by episode, with fresh eyes. This podcast contains spoilers, but please watch along with us. This week, we watched episode three, Rivals in Survival. Gon, Karapika, and Leorio arrive in Zaban City. Their navigator leads them into a disreputable-looking restaurant and gives the chef a complicated order. The trio enters an empty room, and after some confusion, the room begins to lower. It's an elevator! On the ride down, Karapika and Leorio argue about what kind of hunter they want to be. One who hunts wealth and fame, or one who works for the public good. They ask a confused Gon what kind of hunter he wants to be, but before he can answer, the elevator arrives on the bottom floor. They enter a huge room with high tension in the air. The group is quickly greeted by a friendly older man named Tonpa, who has taken the hunter exam 35 times. Tonpa gives them some pointers on applicants to avoid and offers the trio juice as a toast to friendship. Gon immediately spits the juice out, saying it tastes bad. Tonpa is revealed as the Rookie Crusher, a man who has no desire to pass the hunter exam and lives only to force new applicants to fail. Through Tonpa, we meet several other hunter examinees. Botaro, the martial artist, Toto, the wrestler, and Bourbon, the snake charmer. Hisoka, the magician, makes his entrance by turning a man's arms into floating petals, penalty for jostling Hisoka without apology. Tonpa and the others are rightfully scared. We also meet Nicholas, a computer genius, Kiloa, a strange boy with an immunity to poisons, and a purple man with pins coming out of his head and body, who does not speak. The first examiner arrives, Satotes, a tall man with a neat mustache and hair with no visible mouth. He begins walking and tells the applicants to follow him. Someone asks him when the exam will start, and Satotes answers that it already has. What do you think of these hunter examinees? Quite a, quite a group of a motley crew. They're straight up trash. i mean uh like there was not a likable one in the bunch um except except for kilua maybe um i don't know i mean i thought hanzo was all right he was the ninja one looking for the scroll and there were several we didn't actually get to know they were just there uh yeah i think you're right with with hanzo uh in the dub he has one of my favorite lines which is don't tell anyone but i am a ninja <laughs> and yeah he's very ninja and then very shinobi and he actually starts glowing at one point and it's like dude really um yeah <laughs> that that may he's, have been a little anime as anime right there i like that sort of thing where, where where like a character suddenly seems more dangerous it's like the the bilbo baggins thing when he when he's like i won't give you the ring <laughs> yeah so when we're talking dangerous though i mean that clown dude hisoka hisoka yeah yeah. The magician. Yeah, the magician who like will literally cut your arms off if you don't apologize fast enough for bumping into him. Yeah, he didn't cut his arms off though. He flower magicked them away. Yeah. Uh, in in one of the first pieces of like actual supernatural stuff that we've seen, right? Yeah. Like yeah, like it's unexplainable. It, and and they never I mean they tell you that he's a magician, but they never really tell you like what kind of magician he is or how he accomplished that. And I, I thought it was really funny. He's like themed very much, uh, you know, he's themed like a deck of cards and the, um, 
the subs that I had, um, which I think we've already realized that the subs are different uh, from uh, from stream to stream. The subs that I had said, "Oh, uh, his arms turned into flowers." It's like, yeah, but they're no, not that's... flowers. They're just red clubs because you're like a a deck of cards, dude. Yeah, the flowers was the same sub I had on Crunchyroll too, though. So yeah, okay, and um, and the dub says flowers as well. I think it's flowers. Yeah, but they're if you look at them, they're clearly just red clubs. Oh yeah, no, and, they're totally yeah yeah uh, no. I I I don't disagree, but I think Hisoka might have a bit of a, a soul of a poet, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, like like he's just like look flower petals, right. Um, so yeah, he's terrifying. Uh, uh, we got introduced to fifteen new characters in this one. Yeah, I have a list. Um, and I, I also wrote down their uh, their entry entrant numbers. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote that down too. Um, but I think we're actually getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. Uh, okay. Because okay, the scene, the the scene way before they even get here, right? So they're they're off the boat. Um, and they're in the they're they're walking they're following the navigator they're walking to the testing center right and there's a couple of scenes where you know it's like very just it's very low res right um like literally it's a still of the crowd and gone is just like bouncing from stall to stall and right. um you know the panda frog dude was okay but then the the jewelry lady was like i wasn't sure if she was selling the jewelry or herself Oh, um, she was definitely selling the jewelry. She's like, we found this jewelry under the uh, under the, the palace. underground, yeah, underground yeah. palace. And- yeah, but the the voice it was it was so breathy and yeah, sultry. I, I, I mean, I think she's selling the romance of it. I mean, there's definitely like a sultry, you know, vibe about it. But I think I think Leorio puts it best, where he's like, man, there are a lot of shady characters. Yeah. Um, and um, they definitely illustrated that. Um, and I think the, the, the still shots, that's very anime. Yeah. Like, like that's anime ass anime at its, at its core is yeah. instead of trying to spread out the animation through, through all the scenes, sometimes you do stills so you can have more animation in different scenes. I don't yeah. know where those scenes are in this episode, but uh they're definitely there. That thing with the stills, that is an anime kind of uh, a trope, but that's that's kind of classic cartooning as well. I mean, that's the music that went with it, like the sound effects, uh, the, the the little high pitched doop 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 mm-hmm. when Gones bouncing through the stalls is uh that that I think actually goes from just like regular cartooning to um, you know, full on but you usually don't have pauses that long in in western animation do you john well it depends on what the show is i mean it, okay. it's it's hard to differentiate the two anymore i mean contemporary western animation a lot of it is anime inspired and anime historically was inspired by western animation so if you go back to like astro boy or something like that you have all these interviews with these Legends of Anime, and they're all referencing Mickey Mouse and stuff from the 30s and 40s, which is how they learned to animate. So, I mean, the idea of having non-moving characters in the backgrounds, um, that's always been like a time-saving thing. Um, you know, sometimes they're maybe on a short loop, 
and they're just kind of doing the same actions over and over and over again so that they don't look completely dead. But yeah, that's always a money saver, time saver. But I, I kind of like it because they use it so stylistically. Like I know that style has been adopted by by American cartoons, but like anime has always done it. Yeah. I like how the Japanese sort of turned a, you know, a shortage of animators into something that almost defines that style of of animation. Yeah, you find a weakness and you play it as a strength. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I actually just realized that when when you said western animation, you meant like European slash American style animation and not like Western, like Cowboys, uh, cowboys. Yeehaw Westerns. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it just hit me that that's what you meant when you said Western animation. I'm like, okay. That would be very confusing. <laughs> I can see I, I can see why. Uh, could, could we go back to Gone just for a second? Because I thought that scene where he's going from stall to stall said a lot about him. Where he just doesn't, he doesn't get shadiness. Like he sees through it. He, all he sees is adventure. You know, he's excited about the frogs. He's excited about the jewels. He's excited about this and that. And I just, I really like that, how they introduced that. It's cute, but I, I worry for him so much. I actually wrote it down. This kid's going to get rolled and he's going to get rolled again and he's going to get rolled again again like he, he just there's so many he is so freaking innocent and he focuses on the wrong things sometimes uh and and i really am afraid for him the flip side of that is he's real nice and yeah, he's, and, and he's I think, friendly yeah and i think that's going to serve him he thinks the navigator and that yep. was a big thing for me was he thinks the navigator and it's obvious that like nobody else was going to it's just, it's a nice moment. It's a nice, subtle little moment right before they part ways and probably never see him again, so. Which turns into, like, a really angry moment for Leorio. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. like, he doesn't think we're going to pass. And then Karapika's just, no one passes on their first try. By the way, sometimes Karapika knows so much and is such a font of exposition, it's a little too much. Right. It's like, what? How do you know all of this? I did have some questions, um, and maybe you guys can help me clear this stuff up. Um, there's the the cliche subterfuge of the, the tallest building in town, and they think that's the hunter's headquarters. And then the navigator's like, no, it's actually this rundown uh, restaurant right next door, which was cute. Um, but... I felt like in this episode when they're talking about uh, how frequently people can do the hunter exams and where the hunter exams are at, I feel like they contradict themselves on whether or not they're, you have to go to the same location or not each year. I think that we actually get the answer to that later, but it also confused me when we got that answer. They talk about how, and it was how when every it was, year it changes. The examiners change, but... I feel like at one point they act like they come to the same place. Like every year they come to this restaurant. No, because later... because the the navigators like I hope I get to navigate you next year, which suggests that you can't just go to the same place. And Tonpa talks about all these people who have taken it before, and they aren't the first people to arrive, which you'd think 
they would if if it was the first you know if it was the same place every year yeah i don't yeah. i mean that's that was the thing that confused me was it it felt like some of them were saying it's in a different place every year and then some of them were saying uh it wasn't so i didn't know if it was like oh the navigators take you there the first time um and then after that you just kind of know and if you're man enough you can keep trying right um, but then there was that so there was the thing uh at this happened before they even went downstairs, right? Where they pull in front of what they think is the testing center. And it's this really tall building. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's the focal point of where they are. And they're so super impressed uh, about the, the testing center. And then the testing center is um, the, the soup shack next door. Um, you know, with that really long password, which uh, is, you know, ordering the steak dinner in the back room and going so upset because he's not actually going to get to eat the, the steak dinner. But all I of really that... like that exchange where he's like, oh boy, steak dinner and crap, could just has to let him down. Yeah. <laughs> Aw. But, but even then, like the, the exchange about uh, between the navigator and them uh, before they go in about how it has to be humble so that everybody doesn't know where it is and they can't find it, that part made it sound like, you know, this is always the entrance uh, or maybe it's an often used entrance to, uh, to the testing center. Right. Um, yeah, that's okay. what I, that, that was my source of confusion was it, it felt like it could be either or. Yeah. Um, and also if it is that same restaurant every time um the navigator could have saved a lot of effort if he had just said hey go to this city and it's right next to the biggest building in the world yeah find the find the crappiest <laughs> little soup shack next to the tallest fanciest building in this town right right and then ask I, for the I steak dinner in the back i seriously doubt room. that's the crappiest soup shop in that town but it's not but it is the one next to the tallest building yes. in the universe Yes. Yeah. Um, and and then uh, you know Tompa when he's talking about how the examiners are always changing and the tests are always changing, uh, and that you know he was surprised that uh, the magician was back because he tried to kill an examiner the last time or almost killed an examiner the last time. Um, that actually left me with some um, with some doubts in general myself because uh, if the examiners are always changing, um, how does the captain? Um, you know, how does the captain recognize Jing and Gong? I think Tompa is talking about people like Satotes. Like once you actually get there, that's what changes. Yeah, I think uh, the captain is more of a gatekeeper. Yeah. Oh, so so the captain and grandmother and the uh, the navigators they're they're like pretests. They're not actually yeah. examiners. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, Satotes says uh, this, is, this is the first stage of the hunter exam. So the exam itself starts once you get your badge. Speaking of getting the badge, what the hell was that that gave them their badges? Yeah, that's my favorite guy. That guy's awesome. As I described him, he's a little Jiminy Cricket bean-headed guy. Yep. He doesn't make he... any sense. He looks like an alien monster guy. And no one reacts to him like he's not human at all. Uh, right, they're just like, hey, this is cool. Thank you for the badge. When you consider how weird some of the examinees are, um, like yeah. uh, the guy with like pins coming out of his body that looks kind of like Pinhead. Oh, the guy that oozes. What was it that he oozed? And like he looks like he's clockwork and has a nails driven in him. Or maybe yeah, the mushrooms the growing out about. of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The no, guy the, the guy who rattles. And I think it was oozes danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
what a scary uh, character design, you know, like sort of friendly, but also incredibly off-putting. Yeah. Right. Let's, uh, uh, could we talk real fast? There's a, an unmoving tracking shot when they first get down into the, into the basement where the exam starts. They use that like, shot a couple times, actually. Yeah, yeah, they go back to it a couple times. Uh, and I think this is the first time we've seen super distinct character designs for people who aren't examiners. Right. We see, like, all the people who uh, Tumpa mentions and a bunch more. And so what did you all think of that? Like, did that get you excited? Did that Did that just sort of flow off you? All right, so it took me like forever to get through this episode because I kept trying to write down all the names and their descriptions and stuff and, and track their numbers and all that. Um, and I thought it was I thought it was actually really interesting because a couple of things happened uh, once we got down into the basement uh, that hadn't happened before, um, and it was like the the changing in perspective. Um, so like all of a sudden we're we're no longer part like we're no longer tracking the trio we're we're tracking Tampa as he's introducing everybody, uh, and then there there comes a point where um, you know just before the guy loses his arms we we're tracking um, we're still in Tampa's POV when that happens. No, it it vi- visually it steps away from Tampa though. You actually see that exchange happen. Um, yeah, and, right. and Tampa and the trio aren't alerted to it until the guy starts screaming about his arms. So you you are kind of kind of almost you're almost taken to that guy's POV, or at least to like an over the shoulder type experience. And then he bumps uh, Hisoka, um, yeah, the the magician. Uh, and then it's the scream that kind of motivates uh, the camera to show them reacting, which then shows the result of that. It's a really exciting. Uh, episode even though uh, the vast majority of it is still shots or uh slow moving dialogue shots with like limited animation type stuff it's still very exciting they're doing a lot with the camera and a lot with the storytelling uh and even though they're in an enclosed space you suddenly have a feeling that the universe has gotten much larger and that's a cool trick right oh it's it's a masterful trick i mean it's it's really good like filmmaking really good storytelling yeah, and like the the backstories um, that we hear uh, about, like all these people are very interesting. Um, and up until up until that dude dies, um, all of the backstory is basically, you know, Tampa's point of view um, about uh, everybody who's been here so far, uh, you know, so many other times, uh, and he's proud. I mean, he is he is a failure as, as a hunter. Right. Um, like there's absolutely no doubt he's, uh, he gets there early, right. Cause he's number 16. So he obviously got there very, very early this time around. Cause, uh, when, when we, uh, when, when we get there with the trio, it's 405 people. So he was, he's been waiting for a while. Um, uh, and I'm assuming that the numbers are getting assigned fresh every time because people are actually dropping out permanently, but it's his 35th try. Um, and he somehow is still there, uh, and keeps coming back. Um, but we realize that, and, and I think that Nicholas actually tells us this, or was it Kilua? No, it's Nicholas. He tell he tells Tampa that he's addicted 
to his actual goal, which is rookie crushing. Right. Yeah. So, and that actually plays into like the arguments that we keep hearing about uh, between uh, Karupika and Leorio, uh, because they're always arguing about what kind of hunter they want to be and why they're motivated uh, to be a hunter. Uh, and I mean, Tompa clearly doesn't care about being a hunter. He just wants to mess with the rookies. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that both Kurapika and Leorio have sort of a, like a idealistic view of what hunters is. I think that's why Tompa's thing about the devil himself could get the, could get a hunter's license if, if the examiners allow it. Yeah. Uh, it's like, no, what you think, neither of you has a handle on what this is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really weird kind of a dark element. Um, because that's that's the thing for me is I was just surprised that there's such a a lack of rules um, and a lack of like bylaws and things for this event, um, and then also just a general lack of like law enforcement. Like um, hunters are obviously built up as uh, super special individuals in in the societies of this world, but uh, like some guy lost his arms. <laughs> And oh yeah, like, and he and he just dropped out, right? Like they they literally right, but like like you can't like you can't be a walk on for like a like a college sports team or like an NFL team or something like that, and like cut somebody's arms off. Like they'll call the cops. Yeah, you know, like what's the um where, where's the jurisdiction here? You know who who's in charge of this stuff? Because there's obviously rules and laws and a larger society in this world. Um. So I have just I find that that's a thing that happens in the the limited amount of anime that I have watched where there are individuals who are kind of super powered or or kind of mythical or something. I actually have this argument with myself all the time with every freaking action movie. Um and and not even every action movie. Like any movie that has a freaking bang or a boom, who cleans up afterwards and what actually happens? Um well, and, and I think this is the same thing that you were talking about last time with his fishing pole making an, a reeling sound, even though it doesn't have a reel. It's just that's part of the suspension of disbelief. You you hope that there's a explanation down the road, but maybe not. Uh, and so I, I think something that millions of people want to be a part of and that only 400 managed to even start there must be something magical about being a hunter. Yeah. You know? Well, so um, th there's a couple of other things. Um, and we talked about this, I think, last episode where, where like, Gon has this, these special uh, abilities um, that that are just innate. And I actually, like, this is the only thing of value that I got from Tompa because he, he's an absolute piece of garbage. Um you know, he's trying to poison the competition just because they're rookies, like for no other reason than he wants them to poop themselves. It's not like he's if Tompa was poisoning people to get uh, to, to get status, to actually like make it better for him in terms of competition. That'd be one thing. But he literally is motivated by just torturing the the competition, uh, the, the rookies. And, um, you know, Kilua calls him out. He's like, you know, I'm basically immune to your poison. But I really like it when Go when Gon, like, you know, he starts to take a sip of the juice and he's like, Bleh! and like, it looked like he took like a, the tiniest sip and he like spat out the entire can in a waterfall, 
but the the very next line from Tompa after that is uh you know we're back in his head and he calls Gon uh, a feral uh, a feral savant. Um oh, is that, it was that your that, that that was your sub? Yeah. I believe mine get? was just a, a wild mountain child or something like that. Um, that's what the dub is too. Yeah, oh no, so that's, so, that's interesting. I like feral savant more. That's um that feels actually more descriptive and like uh yeah. accurate. Yeah, and oh, I thought good. that was I thought that was a really good description uh, of him um, because he is so innocent and so unworldly. Um, you know, he's he's obviously led a very sheltered life uh, thanks to grandmother and uh, Mito, um, and uh, and and you know here he is out in the world, uh, a feral savant. Like he was so well prepared naturally uh, for for not getting himself poisoned. Um, and and it goes back to you know just the fact that he's got these natural abilities that we don't know where he got them. He he's never really like there's nothing that tells us that he's ever been trained to do any of these things, whether it's uh, recognizing the navigators as individuals in their natural form, um, or you know, tasting poisons uh, in the soda. Um, One other thing about that scene that that I think should be noted is that Kurapika doesn't drink it. Nope, pours it right out. Well, and hadn't taken a sip, you know, had, you know, had sort of waited and was, was cautious about it in a way that neither Gon nor Leorio were. Is, is, do you think that that is similar to like the Hanzo, the, the ninja who yeah, refuses to accept things from people, like doesn't drink anything handed to them by another person just as a precaution? Do you think that's... Yeah, and it seems, maybe, but it does seem in Karapika's uh, personality to be uh, quieter about that than Hanzo. Yeah, I mean, Hanzo is like, I've got the biggest secret in the world. Allow me to tell it to you. (laughs) I'm searching for the secret, secret scroll. Don't tell anyone I'm searching for the secret scroll. Now, one of the things that was also really interesting about this scene um, is that we as the viewers are introduced... Um, I think you said it was like the 16 characters. There is zero interaction um, between the between Gon, Leorio, and Karupika, uh with any of these other characters other than Tompa. Uh, like, if it wasn't for Tompa pointing these people out, we wouldn't know them uh, at all because they're, I mean, they're they're. They're not, they completely ignore the trios. Like they, they just don't care that they're there. They're just there. Um, and he doesn't introduce them all either. Like, no, he, he just talks about f- them. Well, he explains a, a couple of them to the trio. Like he points out some of the other veterans like, uh, Bodoro, the Kung Fu master and Bourbon or whatever, the snake guy. Um, and like two or three others, but then like, Hanzo and the weird pinhead guy and uh, Nicholas the the nerd. Can we agree that Nicholas sucks? No, I so I like Nicholas only because I really do think that the world can be uh to a certain degree can just be reduced to statistics uh and you can actually predict how things are going to happen as long like if you observe something long enough you can decide what's going to happen next. Yeah, but in in a system as chaotic as the Hunter exam, that seems like like an incredible amount of 
what do you call it? Blind ego. Also, he seemed to, I mean, how much observation and analysis could he have actually done having not ever entered the exam before? Well, and, th- and that's the other question is where does he get all of his data? Because he clearly has a shit ton of it. Yeah, obviously from washouts, I assume. Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, he, he gathers the information he can, but he, he did seem uh, ill-prepared for the physical aspects of the... So before we get there, right, we have to meet this... Um, he's a very Guy fox looking dude without a mouth. Yeah, right. The, yeah. the, uh, the next the examiner, examiner, like that's... Satotes, yeah, who has Satotes. like the weird the, the the weird timer that's a green face. It's like yeah, I've got that written rah, rah. down as well. I don't know why his clock is alive. Like it's a uh, the the clock being alive, the little bean headed guy who hands out the numbers. Well, and at first I thought it was the bean headed guy yelling. Right, right. So did I. Um, and then the way Satotes doesn't have a mouth. Those were my uh anime ass anime type moments i mean a lot of the character design stuff is is obviously definitely anime but those elements kind of inexplicable um there's really no reason why satats doesn't have a mouth he doesn't speak enough in the episode for it to have been a cost saving thing um the crazy clock is so over animated like compared to the rest of the episode well and clearly he does have a mouth though because when he speaks his uh his mustache moves. Well, sure. Um, I mean, obviously, we're supposed to assume he has a mouth of some kind. Um, and uh, as we know, once he starts walking, um, he seems to do things in an eccentric, but also in a kind of subdued way. So we hear his voice like he was talking normally, but we don't actually see an opening on his mouth. So maybe he's just able to do things with the least amount of... Uh, energy expenditure i don't know but that's right. a weird choice like it is, well, it is a weird choice to have a character speak with no lip sync but he also doesn't um he doesn't do things in an efficient way right because you're talking about like energy expenditure but the way that he walks is the least efficient way of walking he like he goose steps he swings his arms like you know uh shoulder high in both directions that's not efficient my note is that he's the minister of silly walks. I have the exact same note, Ramy. <laughs> uh, I have the exact same note. My note on uh, what, what's the the skateboarder's name? Kilua. Okay, Kilua. Um, yeah, I have Bart Simpson written down there. He's uh, got spiky hair. His skin's a weird color, and he's too cool for school. Um, I, I I think he's my favorite now. I don't really care about any of the rest of them. Like, I, I like the fact that he actually was very well prepared. I mean, you know, when he calls Tompa out, uh, not only does he call Tompa out for trying to poison him, um, but like he comes back and asks for more. And as he's walking away, he actually has another can of the juice that he knows is poisoned under his arm as he's drinking one already. And he's already had like at least two others, it sounded like. From, from the fact that Tompa was worried about him actually like, you know, becoming dehydrated. Yeah, you get the feeling that he's messing with Tonpa. Yeah, that for that sure. like he's like I know I know it'll freak this guy out is if I keep drinking it and I'll just watch his face and then I'll be like don't worry about it. I feel like that whole thing with the watch and everything, like is a is a strong break from what had been happening where people are just like standing around and being real quiet and being real nervous and then there's this like jarring sound and there's this weirdo. 
And, and it's just this moment of focus where everyone focuses on this thing. And it's kind of like, what's going on? So, so we know that the magician, um, and, and I'm like, I'm trying to judge all of these people that we met. We know that Kilua is like, that he's going to become a court character. I'm assuming he is because he's in the credits. Um, and I'm assuming that the, uh, the magician with the, uh, with a deck of cards tattooed on his face, uh, is also going to become, uh, you know, maybe he's a foil and he becomes a, uh, you know, a long-term foil. Uh, cause I don't see him actually being part of the group cause he seems pretty disgusting. Um, I will, I do have a question about the ending on this one and the closing kind of monologue that the narrator gives he says like they started with 405 but one of them is already like pre-disqualified mm-hmm. um was he talking about the guy that lost his arms yes okay yeah he's like one guy didn't even start okay that okay well so so i actually i, I think i know where you're going with this one because i had that same thought and then i i actually watched that scene like three different times um so Hisoka, uh, he was disqualified last year for almost killing an examiner. Um, and, and that was the question that I, that I had is like, oh, is, is he just participating because he's already there and he's not going to be a hunter because of what he did to that guy? And I'm like, oh, no, wait a minute. The, the, the guy had to drop out because he lost his arms. Uh, and that brings us down to 404. Um, but my initial thought was that Hisoka got disqualified again. Well, see, my initial thought was that something was weird. Um, because he, he does that narration and we're looking at Gon running. And I was like, oh, n- or, oh no, like, did Gon do something wrong or is Gon pre-disqualified or did Gon's dad, like, call down Ooh. and be like, let him do the test, but he can't pass or, you know, like that. And so I'm not going to lie, wow. guys. It just dawned on me that the, the disqualified guy was the guy with no arms. And so this is an incredible revelation to me because I did not <laughs> put that together until just now. Um. <laughs> but but you bring up a but you bring up a good point. Like we know absolutely nothing about hunters, um, or you know the 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 training regimen, the examination regimen. I mean, um, well, we know that they're apparently above the law. Yeah, we know that. Uh, but I mean, are hunters, um, you know, are are you allowed to have two hunters in the same family? You know, can there be only one? Uh, you know, does Gon have to wait for his father to die before he's allowed to be a hunter? Um, you know, is he is he just showing up right now because he, you know, he has hereditary hunter privilege, but he can't become one until you know, like he has to kill his dad. Ooh, that would be a horrible final exam. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta. <laughs> well, that's that's wow. the oh yeah, that's it. That's that's where the question in in episode uh, two comes from. It, See, they, they'll get him and they'll have him and he'll be like, you, the only way you can know what it's like to be your dad is to kill your dad. Oh my God. <laughs> there you go. That's, I'm sure that's not what's going to happen. That's a little too easy. So on the outro, uh, since we're there right now, um, I wrote down EDM meets death metal. I love it. I, that, honestly, I love it. that's, I, I, I'm just going to say this. There are a bunch of different ending credits songs and that's my favorite. I just love how it goes from sort of hard pop into just just screaming at the top of their at the top of his lungs. Yeah, uh, I don't like it um, the way it sounds. That's not my my jam. That's not my vibe. But uh, this the, one of the anime aesthetic things that that Western animation doesn't do 
very often is we don't juxtapose things and we don't mix visuals or, or mix aesthetics very much because the visuals of that of the opening and of the closing credits um there's some nice stuff in there and there's elements that are like really cute and like they're all running and there's a big monster jumping out of the ocean with wings behind them or or there's these really cool kind of shots where they're all colored and then they have like backlit light bulbs blasting um there's little animation but it's really nice and visual um and then even with the character design there's really cute characters and there's really grotesque characters and you don't get that in an american cartoon very often right like if you have a cartoon that has really gross characters then everything in the show looks gross like everything in rick and morty looks gross yeah and everything in uh, like Star versus the Forces of Evil looks cute, and everything in Steven Universe has a very specific kind of a style. Even even in something that's more adventure focused, like Avatar or uh, Dragon Prince, like even the ugly characters in that are beautiful. And those and those are so influenced by anime, anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are those are you know, I mean, a lot of people talk about Avatar as being like the first true you know Western anime you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, like the character designs, they're just not as like, and I don't necessarily want to say brave, but they're, but that there is a bravery to it for sure. But there's just something they do where they're like, they don't mind putting characters in a shot together that don't look like they belong in the same universe. I think that has a lot to do with the original manga. Uh, Yoshihiro, Togashi is the name of the guy who who created uh Hunter x Hunter and uh I I I looked around for for things that that uh inspired him cuz it came up a little in our pre-show discussion and the only thing I could find that that he specifically said this inspired me was HR Giger. Yeah, that's who created the Alien. Yeah, the Alien, yeah. And Alien is like one of the tamer things Giger's done. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I guess I, the reason I bring that up is because one of Giger's tricks is to put something attractive next to something very ugly. And I think we see that in this. And one of the things that Togashi's great at, I mean, truly great at, is his character designs, is his distinctive character designs. Other... Other mangaka, the manga artists, uh, steal his designs because they're so strong. And the designs in the cartoon are almost exactly like it. They're a little more streamlined, but not that much. So speaking of like, you know, the juxtaposition of the pretty with the ugly, um, Karupika, you know, we we talked about him, the cat-eyed boy, but also very androgynous, voiced by a woman. Uh, very pretty uh, in in their own way. Um, and then there's Kilua, who, you know, very much in the same vein, you know, very pretty uh, in their own way. Um, but through all of these introductions that, that we got this episode, uh, literally the only women that we've seen are the grandmother, the aunt, uh, and the uh, the navigators. and And that's it. There is one woman in the group shot. She's got is red it? hair and I think a gun. Okay. I missed that group shot. But 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 like she's not even a secondary character because 
no introduction. Yeah, yeah she doesn't even get a, an introduction. So are I mean, I'm assuming that that hunters like anybody can be hunters, but this is very, very male centered. Um, and I realize, like you know, the only feminine characters we have are are not even really feminine; they're more androgynous, um, but they're all male. Um, but yeah, I mean, the I mean, I, I think that we didn't have we didn't have that awakening culturally until very recently, I guess. Yeah. Um, where you know, um, and and I I know that it's been like a really big deal here in the West, you know, especially like over the last three years with like all the bathroom bills and all that, where like all of a sudden transgender people are more visible. Um, and so we do have a lot more gender politics going on and I'm a lot more conscious of it, uh, in general, just because it's in the news. But that was something that I, that I kind of noticed. Um, and I let it go because whatever, it's not really a big deal, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, it is, it's, it's worth noting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is worth kind of just observing in this particular show and in some other anime that I've just been exposed to secondhand that there are a lot of androgynous characters that that and that element of their personalities is more often than not never commented on within the context of the show. Right. Um and in the same show there'll be plenty of like not great uh female stereotypes. Right. You know, so yeah, I'm sure we'll rub up against that uh, as we go along, and it's certainly uh, something that I think uh, we could always comment on. Definitely, if it's like uh, overly abra- abrasive. John, I think you're. I think you're right, and we should keep our eyes out for that because I think it's important as a Western viewer and as a modern viewer to be like, here are things that are not great about the show, and there are there are things that aren't great about the show. And so it's it's weird for me because I really this is my favorite anime. I love it, and yet it's still terribly flawed. And and I don't really see it as a flaw. I mean, it, it's just something that that that's there. I mean, you know, tropes and stereotypes exist for a reason, and and this you know kind of fits into some of those. Um, and like we really haven't seen any female characters. The closest we've gotten to the female characters is is Karupika. Um, and it was just, it's just kind of interesting. Like I'm, because of when it was written, like you said, it probably isn't going to be, um, there isn't going to be a, a heroine that is going to pop up all of a sudden. I don't think. I'm going to spoil this just a little. I'm going to say <laughs> there are major female characters in the show. Ah, okay. Well, good. Um, because <laughs> and, and the reason that like I'm really sensitive to this is, uh, you know, there was something, you know, going to get a little personal here. Uh, there was something that uh, happened with my child uh, when they were about four years old, um, where we had gotten uh, a catalog of uh, stuff and we were going to put together a Christmas list. Uh, and there was something on the front page that was really exciting to them. Uh, and they're like, well, I want that. I'm like, all right, cool. So we open up uh, deeper in the catalog where that where this thing was. It's a craft tool. It's actually a, a loom, uh, like an actual textile loom, right? Little tiny tabletop thing. Um, you know, just I figured it'd be something cool to have. Uh, and, you know, he wanted to get crafty. Um, so he's looking at this on the front page. He's really excited about it. We open up to the page where it has like the, the actual description and the price and stuff. The page is pink and everybody on that page is a girl wearing pink. And all of a sudden he's like, I don't think I want it anymore. Cause that's for girls. It's like, mm-hmm. 
damn it. You know? And, and so like, I tend to be so conscious about like things not being for girls or things not being for boys. Like things are just for people. And if you enjoy them, you enjoy them. Uh, and that's something that like in the, um, in, you know, in, in, and I miss the, uh, I miss the, the female, um, you know, examinee, but it's like, you know, in this universe, it's, it just, it felt like it's, it's very, all the hunters are, are, are male. It's a very male dom. I mean, clearly even with just one out of 404, it's very male dominated. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, okay, well I get it. But at the same time, it's like, but why can't a girl be a hunter? Um, cause you know, why, why can't a boy be a, a stay at home parent? Um, you know, or a quote unquote housewife. Yeah. Where's uncle Mito? Yeah. And, and so like, I, I tend to be a little more conscious of that just because, um, I try to encourage my child to just basically be whatever they want to be. Yeah. You know, no, I, th- I think it's always worth commenting on. Um, I think if you avoid commenting on things like that, then, you know, it doesn't have to be the thing we dwell on. It doesn't have to be an overwhelmingly large focus, obviously. And it's only just now really come up for the first time, but I think commenting on it is always the right thing to do. Yeah, um, and and in that vein, uh, I I do want to talk about sort of some of the troubling, uh, uh, racial stereotypes that are in there, uh, especially uh, Garita the hunter, the guy the guy with like the two afro puffs and the fat and the pink lips and like that's not okay. Yeah, that one, um, you know, and and. That one's hard for me uh, because it, it is it is not okay, but the way they draw any race in in anime is not particularly realistic. Okay, um, yeah. And there's a lot of caricature. And I guess that's the thing is that usually the caricature is towards less specific, and Garita seems very specific. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that is I've seen in, you know, examples uh, of of other animes handling of of African and African American or yeah, he's not um, Mister Popo from Dragon Ball, which is real bad. Um, I do, you know, they do do some things with their character design that I think is really interesting. Like sometimes they'll give a character just a really darkly colored in nose, you know, like a, a nose that is kind of like a a triangle or a different shape that is a, a definite shade darker um, or sometimes is a completely different shade than the rest of their skin color. There's a guy who has sort of a, uh, a square nose that's kind of red. And like, yeah. is that Bill Clinton? Is that supposed to be Bill well, Clinton? Right. But I mean, what is that supposed to signify? Um, and that's the thing. So often it's, 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 it seems like an affectation or just kind of a, an interesting design choice. But yeah, with Garrida, that was... That was obvious and not great. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't so disturbed by him. Um, but now that you, I, I'm not disturbed by him. I just, I wish, I wish they had, I wish Tagashi had done better. God, that stuff is so hard, you know. Yeah, it, and especially, especially since you and I are are white dudes, John. <laughs> yeah, uh, like like. It's it's radio. It, it's hard for us to talk about, and we've probably gotten a lot wrong. But, you know, if if someone disagrees with us, I, I'd be happy to hear how I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think for me, and, and this will be the last I'll add on that, is uh, intent means something. 
um, recognizing your mistakes means something. So hopefully whoever drew this has learned since they designed this for the manga probably and then it was just adapted in 99 for the show. Uh, well, the show's from 2011. Oh, okay. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's just shitty. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> yeah. a bad one. Just a bad move. Like I said, it's an, it's a copy of the character in, in the manga. Yeah, that's one of the ones you update, though. Thanks for listening to Say the X. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SayTheXPod. Send questions and comments to SayTheXPod at gmail.com. Say the X theme music by Jake Cook. Please watch along with us on the streaming service of your choice, including Netflix, Hulu, and Crunchyroll. Come back next week for Episode 4, Hope and Ambition.